You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. Is coming. That was something that, uh, going back before the birth of Christ, that was a very familiar message among God's people. Christ is coming. And indeed, He came. And I can imagine there were some people who wondered and doubted whether or not that would really happen or not, but it was a a common message because it went all the way back. Uh, anybody know the very first the very first verbal reference of Jesus coming, uh, Christ coming, His first coming? Genesis three, I believe it's Genesis three fifteen. You can check me on that. But it's all the way back in Genesis. You find the very first reference that Messiah would come, that the seed of wo- of woman would come and bruise the serpent's head. So. For thousands of years, they were looking forward to, hey, Christ is coming, Christ is coming, Christ is coming. And guess what? Christ came. And that's what we celebrate this time of year. Well, and then ever since that time, we've been preaching, hey, guess what? Jesus is coming again. Christ is coming. Christ is coming. Christ is coming. And so that's the title of the message tonight, Jesus is coming again. And we're going to be in the book of 1 Thessalonians as we have been as we continue our verse-by-verse study through the book of 1 Thessalonians. But as you're finding your place there in 1 Thessalonians, uh, I want to read Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. I shared this verse Sunday, and I shared it on Facebook today. Um, You may have saw that, but I just love this verse. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful. Counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And this is just another one of those verses, 700 years before the birth of Christ, to where it was promised that uh, Jesus would come, that Messiah would come. But then in addition to that, it goes into more detail because it's a child is born. 33 years later, you see the fulfillment of the second part. A son is given on the cross. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Then you've got a colon there, and between that colon and the very next word is some 2,000 years, because it still has yet to be fulfilled, but that second part of that fulfillment is the coming of Jesus, the second coming of Christ. And just as he came the first time, he will come again the second time. Look with me, if you would, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. I'll not be able to say everything there is to say, as you may imagine, on that, the, of the second coming of Christ, but I want to tell you as much as I can tell you in the time that we have tonight. So 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13, the Bible says, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. And this is an interesting thing. You'll find a couple different places where Paul starts off a section like this. I would not have you to be ignorant. He, he'll put it in different words, but every time he begins a statement like that, he's beginning, kind of changing gears and detailing something that he's not yet detailed up to this point. But he says... Concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. And we'll, we'll mention that in just a moment. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, 
that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. We call this the second coming of Christ. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 28, So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for Him shall He appear the second time, without sin unto salvation. So we call it the second coming because it's the second coming. He's coming again. But according to the Bible, Jesus will return to defeat Satan and commence a 1,000-year rule and reign on this earth during which time he will fulfill the promises that were made. Number one, that goes back to Abraham. The promises he made to Abraham concerning the land. And then he made promises to David, uh, the the Davidic covenant, that these promises concerning the kingdom that have never been truly and fully fulfilled. These will be fulfilled during his 1,000-year reign on the earth. This will take place at the end of the tribulation. When Jesus comes again, He will make all wrongs right in our world. There is a lot that we don't really know about what happens regarding the second coming of Christ. But the Bible does give us a lot of details about it. Think about this concerning the second coming of Christ. For every one reference to the first coming of Christ, there are eight references to the second coming of Christ. So for every one time it mentions Christ coming the first time, there's eight times that it mentions that He's coming again. Scholars have identified uh, 1,845 different biblical references to the second coming of Jesus Christ. No less than 17 Old Testament books mention His return. Seven out of every ten chapters in the New Testament refer to His coming back to this earth. And somebody says, well, preacher, are you sure? Is that literal? Does it really mean he's uh, actually coming again? Well, I just would ask you the question. Was it literal that he was going to come the first time? Because remember, these, these prophecies are connected. Yes, it was literal, very much literal. And it's just as literal that he is coming again uh, and to set up his kingdom. The Bible promises that. Now, the rapture is what we read about here. The the rapture of the church is an event where all who have put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, both those who are living and those who are are with the Lord in heaven, but uh, their bodies are are buried on this earth or what what have you, will suddenly be caught up from the earth to to, to be joined with Christ in the air and to be taken to heaven. Now, the word rapture, sometimes you'll hear people say, well, the word rapture, that's uh, not a a Bible word, is it? And and it's not. You don't find the term rapture in the Bible. But the term rapture comes from a word. It's derived from a Latin word, rapio. 
And that's the translation of shall be caught up, where the Bible says here that we shall be caught up together with him in the air. The, the shall be caught up is one Greek word, which again carries the idea of being caught away, swept away, taken away suddenly, raptured out, as we understand the word raptured. But that's where the word comes from. The rapture, and that's what we're reading about here in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4 is the first of two phases, if you will, concerning the second coming of the Lord. First, He will remove His church from the world. He will remove His church, His bride, from this world. Now, we do not know when that's going to happen. And if you find anybody that claims to know, just turn them off. Because Jesus said that, that no man is going to know. We do not know when He's going to come, but we know that He's going to come. We can see that, that we can see signs that seem to point toward the, the tribulation and beyond, some of the promises that are made there. So that makes us believe that in, in the very imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I believe that there is a knowledge that has increased in our days to where we have a, a reason to believe that. But it's also interesting, as we're going to see in just a moment, that the people that Paul was writing to in Thessalonians, and I know that can cause problems for some people, but for Jesus was going to come back was the message that even these Thessalonians anticipated. The Apostle Paul anticipated the return of the Lord. One of the things that, that we've believed for a long time and understood is that and, and one of the reasons even for, for many years that people believe that this must just be figurative is because the, the Bible says that he's going to return to Jerusalem and it talks about how, how much the, the nation of Israel plays in the, the, the last days. And you've got to understand, going back, you know, remember Israel wasn't a nation for a very, very long time. So there's some scholars that begin to say, well, that just can't be so. It must just be figurative because Israel is not a country. Jerusalem is not a city that belongs to the Jews. Uh, but the faithful believers in the Word of God said, no, that's what the Word of God says. I don't know how it's going to work, but there's going to be an Israel. And there's going to be a Jerusalem. And guess what? It's not a big deal to us today because we've grown up with it. But there is a Jerusalem. There is an Israel. And there is a Jerusalem that's in the hands of the nation of Israel. But... We don't know exactly when Jesus is going to return for the rapture, return for His bride. But that's the first part of the coming. And what that, what that does is that will start a clock ticking, as it were. Because when the, once the rapture takes place, there's a period of seven years that, again, these, these seven years you can find in the book of Daniel, uh, there was, um, what was it, uh, 400 and... Uh, 83 of these years that have already been fulfilled in the Bible. And God just gave the timeline for all of these. But there's a seven-year period that's yet to be fulfilled. It's called the time of Jacob's trouble, when Israel will turn back to God. But when the rapture takes place, the seven years of tribulation will begin. And that the, the tribulation will end with Jesus returning not in, in the rapture, the Lord Jesus Christ comes in the clouds and calls His church home. Uh, and th that, that, that coming, that rapture, that first part, when you hear about Jesus coming like a thief in the night, that's how the rapture will be. But when He comes, the second time when He comes to earth, the Bible says He's going to come and step foot on Mount Olivet. By the way, does anybody want to go to Israel next year? I'm thinking about going, and uh, so let me know if you want to go. 
Uh, and and Melanie, Melanie, Melanie says she's waiting for Jesus to come before she goes. All right? But, uh, but, but just, she's going to be, uh, don't encourage her, don't. Uh, she's going to be, uh, but Jesus is going to come back, and he's going to step foot on the Mount of Olives. He's physically coming back, and that's when he comes back uh, with, the, with, the, with the, the white horse and, and, and the armies from heaven that are following him. And that's going to be what Jesus referred to as, as the lightning shines in the east and flashes to the west. Uh, that it's going to be every eye will be able to see him when he comes back that second time when he comes to set up his kingdom on this earth. Uh, you know what I can realize as I stand here and preach to you today? That this could all sound like crazy stuff. <laughs> Am I wrong? I mean, if, if, you, if you're just like, man, ain't that what the crazy people is? Ain't that what the people that go sell everything, which always amused me, if you really believe the Lord was coming back, why do you sell it? Just give it away, right? What are you doing with the money? Um, you know, they, they sell everything and go sit out on the mountainside. Well, as we'll see in just a moment, we understand that Paul said, I don't want you to be ignorant about the coming of the Lord. Folks, the coming of the Lord is just as biblical as Psalm 23 is, or the Lord's Prayer is, or anything else. Uh, it is, the, the Bible is absolutely a book of prophecy, and it says that He is coming again. And I may not understand it all, but I sure do believe it. And I look forward to it, by the way, because then I can get Melanie to go to Israel with me. Uh, during the, the during the thousand years, but uh, but until then, uh, I'll go by myself and with those who are willing to go with me. But uh, since we've not been appointed unto wrath, and here's the thing: the Bible says in First Thessalonians five. So if you're in First Thessalonians, look in cha- look over to chapter five, verse nine. The Bible says, "For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ." And if you go back, you read the context here. Chapter five continues the discussion on the second coming. So the rapture spares the church from the horrors of the tribulation. And I tried to emphasize that there because uh, there are some people that say, yep, those people that preach, and, and so what? But they, they, all those people preach the church will never have to go through any tribulation. Uh, no, it's not that. Matter of fact, we're going to see here in Thessalonians that we do have to go through tribulation. As in general tribulation. But we will not go through one moment of the great tribulation, of the seven years of tribulation. God's people, the church, will not go through a moment of that. And uh, so, the, the, the Old Testament prophets, it's interesting, the Old Testament prophets didn't clearly differentiate between the first and the second coming of Christ. I wonder if you, did you guys get that picture that I sent you? Okay, so Christian, I'm about to have that picture. Matter of fact, you can go ahead and put it up there. Um, that the, uh, the, this is just a, a good old picture of the, you, know, you may not be able to see it well from where you are, but you can look, if you just look up mountain peaks of prophecy, some of you are familiar with this, it shows you a little bit about how the Old Testaments didn't clearly differentiate between the first and the second coming of Christ. They had no clear view of the church at all. Um, and, and, and the reason you don't read as much directly about the rapture in the Old Testament is because the Old Testament prophets didn't have a direct view of the church. All right? And then just Clarence Larkin, where did it go? Clarence Larkin uh, came up with a, just this chart, and he's, it's the idea, this pointer you can't even see, but the idea is that, the, that that's a prophet, and if you can, I don't know if you can tell or not, but these are like mountain peaks. And you know if you're like looking out across a mountain range, you can see the peaks of the mountain range, but you don't know, you can't see the valley in between, and you can't see the distance. You don't know how far it is from one peak to the other. And so the prophet's standing here, and he can see the birth of Jesus. He can see Calvary. 
He can see the Lord. He, he can see the Antichrist, and he can see Jesus coming again across those mountaintops. But what he doesn't see is what's in the valleys. And so the church was not clearly revealed. It's, it's there, but not clearly visible from the Old Testament prophets. Therefore, the rapture wasn't clearly uh, in view to the prophets as well. So the idea is, as they could see the, the, the mountain peaks, the mountaintops. So the first time that Paul brings up the rapture is in 1 Corinthians 15, 51. And here's what he says. Behold, I show you a what? A mystery. A mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. All right? So when Paul first presents the rapture, he says, I'm going to reveal a mystery to you. Now, a biblical mystery is not the same as like an Agatha Christie mystery uh, or something, you know, to where you've got to go back and see who... Man, that's an old reference, isn't it? Uh, man, I'm old. But anyway, the, uh, but, but, it, but it's not like a, a mystery novel or a mystery movie or something like that. It's literally just, it's a truth, but that before was not understood or wasn't revealed, but now Paul's going to reveal it. A mystery is now, it's a revealed truth. He says, I'm going to show you this mystery. I'm going to reveal to you this truth that was previously not understood. I show you a mystery. And look what he says here in 1 Thessalonians 4, 15. 1 Thessalonians 4, 15, back to our text. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord. So Paul is preaching through revelation right here. God is giving him and revealing to him the mystery of the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. This was given to him by the word of the Lord. Paul shared this revelation to meet, and this is interesting, because if you, if you read the passages in the Bible that talk about the rapture of the church, it is not laid out in a sense to where God's like, okay guys, I really want you to understand everything you need to know about the rapture. So here we go. He kind of did that with the resurrection in general in 1 Corinthians 15. It's like, I'm going to tell you what you need to know about the resurrection, 1 Corinthians 15, and he just goes right into it. He never does that with the rapture. The references that mention the rapture of the church, it's interesting. He's speaking by revelation, but also he's speaking this to them to meet practical needs of the believers. He's thinking of very practical things that these Christians are dealing with. That's why God had this put in here, because He's helping these Christians with very practical matters. I'm emphasizing that because tragically, some people get so caught up in the study of eschatology that they neglect the basic principles of spiritual growth and evangelism. That the second coming is supposed to inspire. We need to learn about the second coming, preach about the second coming, teach and be excited about the teaching and preaching of the second coming. Doria does a tremendous job of that in her Bible studies. But there's some people that tragically, they, they've forsaken all ideas of any practical Christian growth, evangelism, and they're just totally focused on the coming of the Lord. But it's supposed to motivate us to do practical things, not to go sit out on a hillside somewhere and wait for Jesus to come, you know. 
and, uh, and, and not to, you know, go, uh, I mean, you know, trying to be in, inspecting the under, underneath the toenail of the, of the, ten, uh, the, ten, the ten-toed, two-footed image of Nebuchadnezzar, you know, and trying to see what he's got between his toes and what's underneath the dragon's uh, horn or whatever. I'm just, you say, what are you talking about? Exactly. I'm saying there's some people that get so caught up in this stuff, they spend so much of their time on, you know, what ends up taking away from what the second coming is supposed to inspire. Go read the passages about the second coming. They all have a practical uh, nature to the application that it's giving. Of all the end-time events, the rapture of the church seems to generate the most interest and discussion. Now, the young church at Thessalonica also had questions about the rapture. They had questions about the rapture. They had questions about the second coming of Christ. So Paul addresses their concerns in the passage that we just read. But unlike most modern day messages on the subject, Paul's concern was not just doctrinal, but it was pastoral. When you read this, it's just awesome to think about, the, 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 again, the pastoral, the heart of the nature of the words that are shared here. His intent was not to give a detailed description of the rapture, but to comfort the Thessalonians. And you can see that when you get down to the last part, the last, one of the last verses there in chapter 4. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Man, I want to comfort y'all. So I'm going to tell you about the rapture. You see what I'm getting at? And so it's obviously important, very important, but it's just we can sometimes miss how practical and how pastoral this approach is given here. Now, some, there were some issues about, and about the details of their gathering to Christ that troubled them. For one thing, go back to chapter 3 with me here. So just maybe look over to your left. You may have to turn to your left. Uh, but chapter 3, verse 3. That no man should be moved by these afflictions. For yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto. For verily, when we were with you, we told you before we should suffer tribulation, even as it came to pass, and ye know. So, there's some that believe that's what's been said here, is that these Thessalonians had learned about the tribulation, and all of a sudden they start going through tribulation. They start being persecuted. They start going through all sorts of stuff, and they start wondering, oh my gosh. Did we miss the rapture? We're already going through tribulation? But again, he said, no. He said, I didn't say you weren't going to go through any tribulation. I was just trying to tell you that you were not going to go through the tribulation. But there's not only that. But also, there was, uh, that, that was furthered, by the way. Well, look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. So just a page to the right there. 2 Thessalonians 2 and verses 1 and 2. Now we beseech you, brethren, so he's still writing to the Thessalonians, and he says, I beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us, as the day of Christ is at hand. Look at verse 3. Let no man deceive you. So not only did they have their own fears, they also had false teachers out there. If you start looking at things about the coming of the Lord, man, there's going to be plenty of false teaching out there. 
I mean, there's going to be more, more of it that you can even stand to deal with. But these people were dealing with the same thing, and so they were having trouble. They were full of fear about the coming of the Lord. But then it also went beyond that, and, and, and I want to say this before I get too far. The questions and concerns of the Thessalonians that God addresses through Paul in these verses, they also teach us some things that they already knew about the rapture. Remember, these people had already, obviously, they had already learned about the rapture. They had already learned about the second coming of the Lord. Then Paul is coming back and having to set some things straight that he taught based on their misunderstandings. But I want you just to listen as we go through some of these verses on some of the things they learned already, what they knew already. So again, as one thing I've already said, the Thessalonians seem to have had fear that they were in the day of the Lord. In other words, they were in the day of judgment. They were in the day of tribulation and had missed the rapture. And that the rapture, of course, precedes the revelation. Now, here's just the interesting thing. If the Thessalonians knew that the rapture came uh, before... They, they obviously knew that the rapture... and They were obviously taught that the rapture took place before the tribulation. Or else they wouldn't have been fearful since they were going through tribulation that, oh my gosh, did we miss the, miss the rapture. Paul didn't say, oh no, what do you mean? You're going to go through the great tribulation anyway. Uh, what, what are you talking about? No, he had already taught them that they would not go through that seven-year period of the time of Jacob's trouble. So, And that's, that's their reaction there. But not only that, think about this. Uh, the, the day, uh, when you think about it, if the day of the Lord had arrived, I'm sorry, and the rapture was after the tribulation, then that blessed event would have uh, been drawing near. And so it's just the idea of the false teaching they were dealing with. There's a lot of false teaching still today. Matter of fact, if you, you, some of you come from backgrounds that you may be wondering why in the world you've never heard about this second coming. Some of you come from churches. There, there's churches that will tell their people, stay away from the book of Revelation. It will mess up your head. Ain't that crazy? Who am I going to listen to? You know, Dr. Smell Fungus that tells me to stay away from the book of Revelation because it's going to mess up my head? Or the Lord Jesus Christ who said, blessed is every man who reads this book. It's the only book in the Bible that Jesus said, I'm going to give you a special blessing if you read it. So I think I'll go with Jesus over some, you know, dude that calls himself whatever he wants to call himself. I'm going to go with Jesus on that. But again, the problem is, is that uh, many in the, you know, whether it's Protestant world, Catholic world, the reason you don't hear much about the second coming because they don't believe it. And they believe that it has that, that, that the second coming is just when, G, when you die and Jesus comes to usher you to heaven. Well, that's not what happens anyway. Uh, but, but that's what they, they, they believe these things. But you say, preacher, why, we, why don't we believe it? Well, because we believe the Bible. And we believe the, the, the eight out of every one times that it says, He's coming again, He's coming again, He's coming again. And, and the verses that go together like Isaiah 9... He's coming the first time, and He's coming the second time. He's coming again. The, 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 the promises of God's Word could not be fulfilled if He's not coming again. But He is indeed coming again. Now, what was, what was one of the greatest verses that they, fears that they had here? Notice again verse number 14. He said, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus... Let me go back to verse 13. 
But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. And by the way, that ver- the, 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 using the terminology sleep there is a reference to death. It's not a reference to soul sleep, because the Bible says to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. But what it's a reference to is death. Because, uh, man, it's awesome. Listen, Jesus suffered the horrors of death. Jesus suffered the horrors of death so that for us, death can just be falling asleep. Closing our eyes on this side, open them up on the other side. When you tell your loved ones, Adriella, I imagine that tonight when you're told good night, that mom will say good night, Adriella. I'll see you in the morning. Yes, uh, she's ready. Um, but uh, I'll see you in the morning because that's what it's like. It's just like your eyes close here and open on the other side. It's, it's a beautiful thing for a child of God. So we sorrow not even as others which have no hope. Man, I've been around a lot of death as a pastor. Uh, I've been, uh, you know, uh, in a lot of hospitals around a lot of time when people are, have died or, or, or are dying. Uh, it's, uh, you know, I, I'm, I've been around that more than, I guess, the, the average guy. And man, to get around, I, I can just, there's one that comes to mind in particular of a, uh, of a man that died, and you talk about just the despair of the family. And I can remember one grandson in particular, he's a, he's a fellow that I had known previously, but he just flat out, like, lost it, man. You know, just overwhelmed with sorrow to where he's just about tearing up the hospital, He's so upset about the death of his grandfather. Uh, and again, uh, and so, and, and I understand that. And I know people grieve differently, but I hope your grieving don't include tearing up the hospital, depending, unless the hospital did something. But anyway, that's a whole other thing. Yeah, don't tear it up anyway. But um, there's a lot of people just don't like this right now. But the point I'm trying to make is, but there's a difference when there's sorrow. The Bible doesn't say Hey, you, you ought not sorrow about people dying. Y'all, what are you, what's your problem? You ought not sorrow about... He didn't say that. He just said that we shouldn't sorrow as those who have no hope. We, have, we, we sorrow in a different way. We sorrow with hope. I mean, man, I, I was heartbroken. I, told, I woke up, I think it was yesterday morning. I had a dream about my mom. You ever have those dreams about somebody that's going on before you? Um, you know, we, uh, you talk, I, 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 I'm, I'm around a lot of death as a pastor. It's not constant. But, you know, I'm around a decent amount of death. But even in our family, it's just crazy when I actually meet people that their parents are alive and their grandparents are alive. That's, like, weird to me. Uh, I, don't, I mean, I, I might have been gone for so long. Uh, no parents, no grandparents, you know, aunts, uncles, so many of them gone. Um, and I'm not trying to throw a pity party here, but I'm just saying, been around death a lot. But there's a difference. There's a sorrow, but it's different when you know that there's hope. And when you know for sure that that person did know Christ, and that they are with the Lord. They're just different. I'll see my mom again. I will. I look forward to that. It's going to be a beautiful day. Uh, and, and, the, and one of the things about sorrowing, I'll just throw this out there to you. When we sorrow in, in relation to our loved ones, always make sure that we sorrow not for them. If they're saved, it would be ridiculous to sorrow for them. It really would be. Uh, because they are so, uh, I mean, they're so blessed right now. They have so much joy, so much peace. I mean, do not sorrow for, oh, poor mama. No, not no poor mama. And even for me, oh, poor mama. And it breaks my heart, you know, like in a real way that she's never got to meet any of her grandkids or any of that kind of stuff. But she'll meet them again. 
And for her, she's not up there just like, oh my gosh, time is dragging by up here. No, it's just going to be just like that and she's going to see us all. It's going to be a beautiful reunion day. I sorrow not for her, I sorrow for us. Oh, it's such a tragedy. She went to heaven at 43. Uh, you, you have any idea what heaven's like? It, heaven's no tragedy, people. Heaven is no tragedy. It's not. Heaven is not a tragedy regardless of age. Heaven is not a tragedy. Now, it's a, it's a tragedy on our part. Don't misunderstand me. Please don't misunderstand me. It's a tragedy on our part, but not on their part. We cannot grieve for a loved one. Uh, heaven, heaven is no tragedy, and heaven is not a junk heap. Heaven is not just a glorified scrap heap. What do you mean by that? We think heaven is okay once you're so broken down and worthless in this life. Well, I guess it'll be all right if they go now. No. Listen, if, if, if I were to go to heaven tonight, I mean, listen, sorrow a little bit, but rejoice because I'm not, don't feel sorry for me. I mean, I want you to be happy for me. And some of you just be happy for yourselves. Be happy for Melanie. And, uh, but be happy that I'm gone. <laughs> not, not that I'm gone, but be happy that I'm with the Lord. Honestly. Uh, anyway, that's a whole other thing. We, we don't sorrow as others who have no hope. Uh, we have a different view, and it's, it's not a, and it's not a fatalistic view. It's interesting, isn't it? Did you know that people with hope tend to have a, have a greater will to live? That makes sense, actually, if you think about it. But, uh, but I, I heard there was even a study done. We did first responders not too long ago. I heard not too long ago that there was a thing that whenever, I think it was military and even police officers, when they're in uh, battle situations, the ones that have faith and the ones that have hope tend to live, tend to, tend to fight harder. Why? Because they have hope. It's not because it's not just like, well, I'm going to die and that's it. So we, we sorrow, but we don't sorrow as others who have no hope. But they were worried. They were worried here about their loved ones. Again, verse number 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord. Notice he said we there. He was expecting the return of the Lord. Natalie, you may indeed get married. We were having that conversation the other day. Anybody ever been... Well, if you were a young person and a Christian and you heard that Jesus could come again any moment, you're like, Lord, please. Good night. Let me get married first, you know. Uh, let me have kids first and, uh, and everything. And, it, and so I, I sympathize for the, the, the teenage. But, but at the same time, but then you still say, but Lord, I've got to believe that it's better somehow. And it is. It's, it's got to be better. But, but we don't know when it's going to be. But he said that, that we which are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God. I, next week I'll talk more about some of these details, but right now I want to kind of give you the more practical side. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with the, in the clouds to meet them, to meet our loved ones, meet them in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. How beautiful is that? Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. That's what he's getting at. They were worried about... Because, number one, they were just doing the math. Oh, my goodness, we're going through some tribulation right now. Did we miss the rapture? And if we miss the rapture, our loved ones are still laying in their graves. They missed the rapture. See, because they believed the rapture would take place before, tribulation, before the tribulation. But the idea is, is that they were worried about, and they, had been ta they were taught 
that, you know what, nope, Jesus is only coming back for those that are still alive or something to that effect. I don't know what all they were being taught, but they were being taught some wrong things. But he says, nope, your loved ones that have been buried. You say, well, preacher, you kind of know that, uh, you know what's left of those people, right? You know people are cremated. Well, listen, God who spoke everything into existence out of nothing is going to have no trouble whatsoever resurrecting uh, the, the, those uh, bodies, whatever remains uh, of people. God knows. He's, he's a pretty amazing, he's pretty amazing when it comes to microbiology, if you haven't figured that out yet. He's pretty amazing when it comes to that stuff. He's able. So this is one of the fears that they have as well. Um, worried about those loved ones that had gone on to be with the Lord. All right, I'm trying to figure, find a place to land the plane here. Um, the Thessalonians... Um, Let's see. Da, 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 da. We'll not to be ignorant. Oh, think about the hope here. Think about the hope that the rapture offers. It's, it's good to be a Christian. It really is. Because, again, I'm one, and man, you, you get into all kinds of mess. You, there's a lot of doctrine going around there. And when it, this, this whole situation with the second coming and the coming of the Lord, when Paul says, I'd not have you to be ignorant, there's a reason for it. Because I'm telling you when, you, get, when you do get off in your eschatology, it does affect the way you live your, your, live your life. It can affect the, the amount of peace you have. See, there are those, one of the, one of the a popular modern teaching today, they take a verse out of context, as people often do, and Jesus says how that the gospel of the kingdom must be preached around the world, you know, before the second coming. And, uh, and, and they look at that, and basically they, they interpret that verse to say, and I'm talking about a lot, this is a popular pe among people that you may listen to or read behind, okay, that believe that it's the, the church's responsibility that basically we've got to fix the world. And once we get the world fixed, then Jesus will come. That, that, that's the, 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 you know, we're pre-millennial, uh, pre but the post-millennialist believes that we've got to get it right. Well, if you believe that you've got to get it right, guess what? It's easy to start looking at the people on the other side of the aisle, so to speak. It's easy to look at those people as, as your enemies when they're standing in the way of you getting it right for Jesus to come back. Makes a big difference. But when you look at that person as a... As a they're, they're not standing in the way of anything in regards to Jesus coming back. They're just a lost soul that needs to be saved. And they happen to be pushing a, an ungodly agenda that we haven't happened to be dealing with today... But they're not our enemy. They're not even God's enemy. I mean, in the sense of God's relationship. God doesn't look at them and just say, oh, I can't wait just till I can just smush them. No, those are people for whom Jesus died. So, I mean, they, they've set themselves up against, as the enemies of God. But I'm saying God still views them as people that need Christ. Uh, it can affect the way you view things. I'm telling you right now, man, <laughs> things like this past election, for instance, well, that can be a major setback to you if you believe you've got to get the, fix the world before Jesus comes. And when you look at the... You look at the and, and then what happens? Then you're one of these frustrated people. You're one of these discouraged people. You're one of these angry people. I'm not one of those angry people. I'm not one of those discouraged people. I'm really not. I mean, now, not to say I don't get discouraged, but I'm telling you right... For what, my hope's not in D.C., okay? My hope's not in this country. I love my country. I love the Constitution and the Bill of Rights of this country. And as a citizen, I'm going to try to fight and protect and claim and, and hold on to those uh, till my dying breath. But at the same time, that's not where my hope lies. 
It's not in my country. It's not in the hope of, you know, some president, some person getting into office. No, sir, not at all. Oh, preacher, did you see what happened in Georgia? Yep. All I know is this. I know that eventually this thing's going to be turning bad. I know that. I really do. And I'm going to do what I can in the meantime. I'm not trying to turn it bad. But when it does, I do my part, but I leave it up to God with the rest of it because it's in God's hands and not in mine. Don't be ignorant. Don't be ignorant. The, the, this rapture that he talks about here, it deals with revelation, it deals with the, his return, it deals with resurrection, it deals with the rapture, and it deals with the reunion. As we've already said, we will be reuni reunited with our loved ones. I think a good place to close will be going backwards again. I know we've been all over these verses, but verse number 14, this is the big key. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. So, the, what he's saying right there is simply this, man. Don't miss the rapture. Don't miss his coming. Don't miss heaven. Jesus has done everything possible, everything needed for you to be saved. Everything. Now you just simply must believe. Believe. If we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so I hope today that you have put your faith in the death and resurrection of Christ and are not trusting in your own works, in, some, in your church or this church or any other, any baptism or being a good person. No, make sure that you believe not in any of that stuff, but that you're believing and leaning on Christ and Christ alone. Let's all stand. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the truth of the Word of God. I'm glad that we can know the truth and the truth will set us free. I'm glad that we don't have to be ignorant concerning your coming. We don't have to be ignorant concerning the rapture. We don't have to be ignorant concerning your second coming. We know that there's a lot out there that are troubling people with their false teaching about the second coming. And um, they, they love just trying to... Uh, they, they love leaving people with question marks, God. They don't like leaving people with exclamation points. Uh, they love to rob people of peace rather than to give people peace. They feel fulfilled. But I'm glad your word gives us hope. I'm glad your word gives us assurance. And I'm glad that, uh, God, we've got a job to do and help us to be faithful to do it, be salt and light in this world. But when it really comes down to it, Lord, you're coming again. And um, God, just uh, your will be done. We love you tonight and we thank you for your goodness. And if there's anybody, God, here, anyone listening that has not put their faith and trust in you as Savior, God, I pray they'll take a moment and do that before they uh, go to bed tonight, before they even maybe leave here today. Make sure that they put their faith and trust in you as Savior. And we'll thank you for that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.